It's time for Twig. This week in Google, Jeff and Gina join us along with Seth Ladd, developer advocate at Google. He's going to talk about the new Chrome 10 and HTML5. Plus, there's malware on Android and a whole lot more. This week in Google, coming up next. Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twig. Bandwidth for This Week in Google is provided by CashFly. C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This is Twig. This Week in Google. Episode 85, recorded March 9th, 2011. That's so scoble. This Week in Google is brought to you by Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration and management that's simple. For 10% off your new domain, go to twig.hover.com. It's time for Twig this week in Google and the cloud. You know, we cover Facebook and Twitter as well as Google. We just call it Twig because then people know what they're going to get. And Google's such a good brand name. And if we did this week in Facebook, it'd be Twiff. And nobody wants to say that. <laughs> Joining us right now from San Diego, California, and her home, Gina Trapani, or her office, I'm not sure which. Hi, Gina. Hello. You heard from her bicycle lab? From my bicycle lab, exactly. <laughs> How's it going? Going great. Somebody just told me Glee's been back for three weeks, and I didn't even know. What? So, no, it, there's a new episode last night, but the week before that, there wasn't one. Oh, but I think I didn't know that they restarted, so I think I have at least a couple. Yeah, and you've got a Gwyneth episode to watch, uh, so that's very exciting. <laughs> <laughs> this week in Glee. I'm sorry. I, did I say it was this week in Google? It's this week in Glee. <laughs> of course. Of course. Jeff Jarvis is also here. Man, he's sharp looking today. Look at that. You, you look like an, under, scare you? an undertaker. But you're going to interview. Hey, hey, hey. You're, you're going to interview the fashion forward, Marissa yes. Meyer, in about an hour. I have my Prada tie on. Ah. I'm sorry Barney I'm not in New York for that. That's Barney's funny. Warehouse Sale. <laughs> <laughs> and Tim Armstrong together on the same stage? Yep. Wow. Tim Here Armstrong, again. CEO of, uh, the new CEO of AOL. Right. Um, we get to talk about, uh, you know, great things like the AOL way and Ariana's way and the <laughs> uh, quality good. and content and fun stuff. Can people watch this uh, event? Yes, they can. I gave you the um, URL. Now i got to figure out where the heck I have it here is. somewhere. This is the inauguration of your new Tau... What's it called? Tau Night Center. Tau Night Media. Uh, so if you go to uh, dubs.journalism.cuny.edu slash live. Again, journalism.cuny.edu slash live. Good. Nice. You can watch. This is the inauguration. Starting at 7 ET. Yeah. This is the inauguration of the uh, of this Center for Entrepreneurial Journalism. Not an oxymoron, damn it. What is it? It's journalists making their own jobs and oh. making journalism sustainable. And uh, oh, you mean out what like Twitter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like oh. right, like what you do, Leo. Oh, I mean, like this. Exactly. In fact, that reminds me, Leo. I've got to have you talk to the class. I'd love to. In your copious free time, we'll get you it on. So Skype. you do a class on entrepreneurial journalism. We now have a whole certificate program where we have students here that are full-time for a semester just on this topic. I bet you there are a number of working journalists who want to go to this and, and take That's this. That's what we have now. We have returning yeah. professionals, read unemployed. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we have 11 students from uh, all over, uh, Sri Lanka, Denmark, Rwanda, wow. and Brooklyn. I remember when I talked a couple of years ago to the Online News Association, uh, how interested, you know, currently working... Sometimes really big name currently working journalists yeah. were in this subject because a people feel like newspapers are failing and b uh, because they want to they want to control their own stuff. That's what started me. It wasn't the lack of work. It was you I the wanted great white hope, Leo. I wanted to control it. Yeah, and especially in our beat because frankly we're so geeky and nerdy that no mainstream media <laughs> enterprise wants to, anything to do with it, the kind of content that we do here. Speaking of which, let's talk about HTML5. Also joining us. Seth Ladd, he is a developer advocate at Google, and uh, 
Gina, why don't you introduce Seth since you were the one who discovered him? <laughs> I get discovery, the discovery fee. Yeah. <laughs> Seth did a great uh, tech talk at an event here in San Diego called Refresh about Chrome and HTML5, and it was a great presentation. And like I said, I ambushed him right afterwards and recruited him to be on Twig so that we could, we could ask him questions about Chrome. And actually, this is perfect timing because Chrome 10 uh, dropped today. Uh, so I yep. thought maybe Seth could tell us a little bit about, you know, I use Chrome. I love it. And, and one of the things I love about it is that it just sort of updates without me having to do much. Like it just tells me like, hey, you should, you haven't restarted in a while. Like if you do, you'll get an update. And then I love that. I don't even think yeah. about it, which yeah. I love, which yeah. I love. But maybe Seth, you can tell us a little bit about the Chrome 10 release. Yeah, sure. So the auto updating feature, I mean, when it's a browser for the web and the web doesn't have you know, long-standing releases. Anytime you just save a new page to the web, it's automatically available to everyone. We wanted to take that model of essentially instantaneous distribution all the way down even to Chrome. So, you know, we're going to try to keep pushing this as fast and fast as we can get and just essentially eliminate the version numbers. And if we can do that, that's just fantastic. Yeah, so, version numbers um, are not a human thing any more than right, URLs are a human thing. <laughs> Exactly, especially with Chrome, right? Because we update all the time. It, it's beginning to lose meaning. And, and we just really like that because it just gets the latest and greatest to end users, like you said, without even thinking about it. You just restart and it's just magically there. Yeah. Yeah, I had to go into Chrome's About Box to see if I had the latest version, right. and I did, and I hadn't done anything to get it. I just said, oh, look, you know, Chrome 10 got released. And, uh, and it seems like every Chrome release is much faster, seems to be one of the marquee, marquee features. Well, um, definitely. With Chrome, our, our mantra is speed, stability, and security. And so, especially with Chrome 10, uh, we're pushing out Crankshaft, which is our uh, next iteration with the V8 JavaScript engine. So, see some really significant speed improvements. So, uh, yeah, we hope to continue that trend. As Chrome is based on WebKit. How much of this is WebKit getting updated? How much of it is separate? Is Chrome work? How much from Google goes back into WebKit, which is an open source project? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we're we're uh, all committers here uh, to WebKit. Uh, we're we play nicely there, and we definitely push there. We work out of the WebKit tree very often, and so yeah, we want to keep that very up to date with what we're doing. Uh, certainly, some aspects are not WebKit, like the V8 engine, but a, uh, a lot of the HTML5 functionality, all that just flows right into WebKit. So crankshaft is is a Google specific feature. It's not going to be returned. Currently, that's tied to the V8 JavaScript engine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, you have a great site, by the way, for HTML an HTML5 advocacy site called HTML5 Rocks. This is a Google sponsored site. Yeah, but we're actually trying to get that. Um, out and not be really browser or Google centric at all. Uh, we we post articles from outside resources, uh, people that have done good work for us and just for the web. And we'll also we disclose which features work across different browsers. And so our main intention there is just to make sure that great HTML5 resources are out there for everyone, um, because that's really that's that's Chrome's technology toolkit, right? Every every platform has an API, and Chrome's platform API at this very foundation at its core is HTML5. And, and that, of course, is a fabric of the web. And so even the resources we put out there is all just about pushing the web forward across all different browsers, of course, including Chrome. Got to ask you about video. Yes. The bracket video bracket tag. Mm -hmm. um, and this, that's what, this is all about HTML5, the, the decision Google made to not support H.264 but to support uh, uh, WebM, WebM mm -hmm. which Google uh, bought um, and is open sourcing. That's well, it, yes, it's, it's open source now. And, and really, uh, the way I like to look at that decision is to the normal web developer, that is the everyday web developer, uh, this actually changes nothing. Um, to get coverage with your video codecs, you're going to still need to encode H.264 and WebM. Uh, so r really, I mean, the impact to the web developer is minimum to none. And, and really, a lot of people use uh, white-labeled video hosting services or branded ones like Vimeo or YouTube anyway, and they take care of the, the uh, encodings, right. the, um, you know, the social experience, the sharing, the embedding, and all that. So really, in the end of the day, this really doesn't change anything for a web developer. It, it, just, it just changes kind of what is official under the, the, the video tag in HTML5, well, right? Well, cer certainly, we're, we're, we hope that a, um, 
that the community eventually adopts an open source, you know, high quality video codec, and we believe WebM to be that option. And uh, so certainly, certainly we want to keep promoting that as the go-to option for video on the web. Yeah. And that's the option that Chrome supports even if you don't put any plugins in. Uh, absolutely. WebM comes right, built right in with Chrome. Although so Flash, comes with, Flash comes with Chrome right now. Yeah, absolutely. Are we going to see that stop? Is that going to end? No, I don't think so. We're, we're really pragmatic about that. I mean, we're, we're bullish about HTML5. Uh, we definitely think this is the future of the web for, you know, numerous reasons. Uh, but in the end of the day, I mean, you have to look at what's on the web today. And a lot of that is great Flash content. And so it's, it behooves us to ensure our users have a great experience. And so we build that Flash plugin right into Chrome. So we can also auto-update Flash for you, which is huge as well. Because just like any other software, you, know, you want to make sure it's up to date with the latest. And so it's just one last thing users have to worry about for just a great kind of smooth web experience. And of course, that includes Flash. You also sandbox it. Part of Chrome 10. <laughs> yes, that um, is a very exciting feature. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Adobe, yeah, of really course, announced its uh, flashed HTML5 converter. Has anybody, is, is that exist out there? It, it is out there today. I believe my team's taking a look at it now. I, I think it comes with a lot of caveats, but we, we definitely think this is really exciting for web developers. Uh, uh, something that Adobe does very well, of course, is tooling support. Um, and so we hope they continue to support HTML5 and the web going forward. And so this is a great first step. They do not. It's very specific. They do not support video. So they avoid that whole H.264 WebM flash nexus. They just say, no, that's, this isn't going to do video. But it is a lot of SVG support. SVG is HTML5's way of doing kind of animation. Is that right? Well, SVG is, uh, stands for Scalable Vector Graphics. Uh, so that's a way to actually embed uh, graphics like circles, rectangles, uh, curves directly into your HTML page, uh, right alongside your head tags and title tags and all that. Um, it's interesting to compare that against another technology a lot of developers are familiar with, which is Canvas, which is your 2D bitmap drawing surface. So developers really have two options. They can work with high-level kind of blocks and circles right in their HTML page, or they can just draw bits to a surface, and a lot of animation work is actually happening there as well in Canvas. Mm. I get it. You know, when you, when you look at Chrome and the Chrome Web Store and all the, the capabilities that you get with HTML5 um, animation and graphics and offline use, Chrome really becomes a viable platform for releasing a desktop application. Like I, I built a command line task manager and an Android app and we're having this, this open source, we're having this discussion on the mailing list. Like, hey, we want a desktop GUI for this. For this. So what are some ways that we can build that? So the first one that came up with was, was Adobe Air, right? Because you want to write it once and have right. it run anywhere. So I was like, okay, Adobe, yeah. Adobe Air, that can write, you know, we can write that one way and it'll run on every platform. And then immediately somebody said, why not? A Chrome, a Chrome app. And this is an app, I don't want to do any hosting. I want this to be like, you know, all the data stored in Dropbox. And, you know, I just want this to be offline, you know, in, in the browser and then communicate with Dropbox and have it all done in HTML5. Is that, and that, and that is possible at this point, right? Like given the, the Chrome Web Store, you can package a web app into a totally a desktop, you know, it's files that get saved on your desktop and it, which can do offline storage and maybe do some API calls to cloud sources, but not necessarily ha be a real website, right? Sure. So uh, for those who don't know, Chrome Web Store is an open marketplace for great web apps and games. And it's a consumer-facing web store built right into Chrome. So you can find, you know, utility, productivity, entertainment, news, and of course, games. Um, there's two ways to build apps for the Chrome Web Store. Uh, one is your traditional hosted web app, which is like you're saying, you put it on a web server, it has a URL, anyone can get to it. Uh, that's the very traditional one we're all familiar with. And then there's a second option, which is you're, you're talking about, which is what we call a package. App. A packaged app is a self-contained HTML5 app that you can just fully upload to the Chrome Web Store. And when someone installs it, they download that entire package, they run it locally, and you're right, no web servers involved. So in that model, it's a lot closer to a traditional uh, software model, which is, you know, you send down all the bits and you just run it locally. But there is a limit to the size of that right I, I think that's that's a leftover from the extension days so right now the size limit is 10 megs but we heard a lot of strong feedback from our partners saying you know we need more and so we're definitely looking at, at uh, addressing that very soon it's interesting i just installed uh, 
on camera, Super Mario Brothers, thinking that might be a package. It's not. <laughs> it's a web page, and I know because I'm getting an ad for a pregnancy test right now. So, <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting when you install stuff from the Chrome Chrome Web Store. When I first looked at it, sort of as a tech reviewer, I thought this doesn't look too different than just sort of like glorified bookmarks. But right. actually, it it's it's much different when you think about offline apps. It's it is full. It is a full on app store. So like, this is a know, flash. Apps, this is a flash market. game. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Seth, I have so, to ask you the question that I'm sure that everyone asks you, which is about Android and Chrome and how these, these two products are becoming platforms for app distribution and whether or not they compete with one another and how the teams interact at Google and, and, and how there are both. And is Chrome ever going to run fully you know, on, on Android? Uh, certainly. So I think the best way to look at that right now is that Chrome is a great experience for your desktop, laptops, and netbooks, things with keyboards. And Android's a great experience for smaller form factor devices without keyboards. And right, right now, that's, I think, how the teams are looking at it. Uh, things happen very organically. Um, but for now, that's definitely, you know, we're building an ecosystem for the web and platforms with keyboards. They're building an ecosystem for mobile. And of course, they have a browser on there as well. And so a lot of this HTML5 capability works on Android as well. And that's oftentimes how we talk about it to our partners. We say, you know, build with HTML5. That's how you get across all these form factors, tablets, TVs even, of course, uh, desktops, laptops, netbooks, phones. Across the board, HTML5 is probably the most ubiquitous technology toolkit out there um hopefully and, hopefully and that lets helps. you play uh centipede oh that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's a really amazing uh centipede i don't know if it's flash or if there is it, you know it's in the web store so uh but i mean that's pretty impressive that uh now is the is the heart of the android browser the same i mean are the is the java rendering javascript rendering engine the same and all that yeah so absolutely great great point uh it's just the ui android you were talking about that's different yeah, the Android browser is WebKit-based, um, and we brought over a version of, of V8 as well. Um, and so they, they do have a common ancestry, absolutely. Okay, okay. So we'll get advances in uh, Chrome will kind of migrate to Android. Yeah, via the WebKit route. Uh, yeah, right, definitely. Right. Oh, right. It's interesting. On Google TV, the browser is called Chrome. Uh, but on and every other Android build I've seen, it's just browser. You know? So I wondered about whether or not there's a full kind of Chrome build on its way to Android. Yeah, and that's because the Google TV guys use, um, use Chrome. Uh, they have version 5 on there now, and uh, they'll be updating that later. Um, the Android guys just use a WebKit version of their browser. So it's, it's a different browser. Okay, okay. Um, Seth, uh, the thing I can't wait for is offline reading of Gmail and such to bring back the, uh, the things that we lost. Um, when is that going to happen? Well, you and me both are waiting for that. So uh, it, <laughs> that message is heard loud and clear, absolutely. But, you know, to Gina's point as well, I mean, I think, you know, we had a lot of offline functionality with the product we maintained uh, and launched a couple of years ago, which was called Google Gears, which was yep. a plug into browsers that brought a lot of this forward thinking technology. And even some of that has rolled up now into HTML5. We've now deprecated Google Gears and we will support HTML5 going forward. And so you'll see, you know, better functionality uh, taking advantage of more of the platform going forward via HTML5. And that, of course, includes offline. Um, speaking of offline, there's just a, actually a wide array of options giving developers really great choice. Um, something called local storage, something called IndexedDB. And then, of course, we have a sandboxed virtualized file system in HTML5 as well. So, um, you know, developers can now start building, real, uh, for instance, games or photo editing apps where you can store large objects actually into a virtualized sandbox file system via the browser. So bringing these kind of strong offline capabilities is a big part of HTML5. Yeah, that's, re that's really cool. That makes me really want to build, build a GUI for my app in, in Chrome versus, uh, versus anywhere else. It's, it's really kind of, you know, becomes the kind of right, right ones run anywhere, online, offline dream. We're which definitely is, working is nice. hard to make that yeah, reality. And yet I get scared when you say build it in Chrome instead of anywhere else because isn't the web really supposed to be about completely cross-platform capabilities? Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, and that, that's interesting. I mean, so you can go either way. You can go with the hosted, the hosted version where you're communicating with, web, with a web server and any browser can do that. But it's that, it's that offline bit that Chrome offers that's really... But is that uh, going to be unique to well, Chrome or is that HTML5? Firefox, Firefox will yeah, also have it. 
That's a that's a great point. Yeah, that that comes with uh, Firefox four and uh, you know more modern browsers will bring along these these technologies as well. So uh, I think you you build for the best experience for your users, absolutely. And right now that's the modern browsers. Chrome just has seems to be leading that because we have this very frequent automatic update. But as as other browsers like Firefox four come online, you just broaden and broaden your reach and yet get to deliver a great experience. HTML5 rocks your website <clears throat> is uh, it seems to be aimed at developers particularly as opposed to uh, end users. You you start by getting developers to write for it. Definitely, definitely. Um, we have uh, some really great demo sites out there that appeal more to the eye candy end users. Right. But right now, uh, you know, most of our efforts and outreach is absolutely centered around developers, um, web engineers, web programmers to get them excited and realize this is this is a viable option today. I mean, you to build. <laughs> this is great. I click I click the playground and I get a, an, an IDE, <laughs> a full nice. IDE with debugger. Yeah. I mean that's that's a I mean I'm sure that's intention that that the developer goes whoa cool that's pretty sweet. <laughs> that, when you think about the cloud right and what what Gene is talking about you know putting everything in a Dropbox just running in the client this is this is a big deal for us so uh, you might have heard Cloud Nine IDE is an option today that just came out of I think beta as a full IDE running in wow. the cloud and and this cl this cloud thinking becomes more and more important as you have cloud connected netbooks like Chrome OS which only runs Chrome. So of course you need everything, even your development environment in the cloud. So these things, these things are coming true. This is, the, I mean, that was having my IDE, having my development environment in the cloud was the one thing that kept me from using this. I have a CR48 and it's something that I, I wasn't able to use, you know, day to day because I code day to day. So that, that's really cool. Right. I hadn't heard of cloud9ide.com. That looks, that, that this just got released, I guess. It's, yeah, yeah, it's also available in the web store and you can find it by, via searching. So, uh, you know, the, other people, I'm sure, will come out with cloud IDEs. It's it's the logical next step. Yeah, no doubt, and it and it integrates with GitHub, which is exciting. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Nice. So I had to speaking of the CR48, the Chrome OS. I mean, how is your team? Does your team also work with Chrome OS? Are those separate teams at Google? And like, how to how to updates roll out to Chrome OS? Those those are two. Those are different releases, right? Uh, you know, Chrome OS is is a you know separate product, but the best way to think about it is. It's Chrome with the, a paper-thin Linux bootstrap layer. And so, yes, it's a separate product because it's built to run directly on netbooks. But the advice we give to our partners and developers is just build for Chrome and you'll be successful on desktop, laptop, and now netbooks. And right. presumably so. compatible with other modern browsers as they come out. You're not doing Chrome-specific yes. extensions. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Absolutely, yeah. Um, when I say build for Chrome, I mean that's how you hit Chrome OS or that's the way you think about Chrome OS. You build for Chrome, like got it. Yeah, which is, right, modern HTML5 app, right, absolutely. Right, Which is exciting because uh, it, 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 it means the universe for, for the CR48 and Chrome OS. Uh, now, the guy running Chrome OS has de is departed for Facebook, has he not? Isn't that where he went? Oh, I, you know, I think I read something. I, unfortunately, I can't comment on that. I just don't know the details. Yeah, there. okay. So, but, Chrome, but as far as you're concerned, Chrome OS is alive and kicking. It's, it's a part of the, the Chrome ecosystem that we're building, yeah. definitely. Good. I, I bookmarked a couple of sites uh, during your talk. One was the HTML5rocks.com. Uh, another is HTML5boilerplate.com, which looks like yes, a pretty good yes. uh, template to use. And another one is caniuse.com, which gives you kind of a, a rundown of what browsers support what HTML5 capabilities. So as you're developing, like like Seth said, you develop for uh, for you know you develop HTML5 capabilities, but then you can you know gracefully degrade for browsers that maybe haven't haven't caught up yet. No, I'm really glad you brought that up. I mean, HTML5 boilerplate is a really fantastic resource because it not only says you, we can get you up on HTML5 today, it actually brings over a lot of the best practices that web developers has begin to discover uh, for many years, things like the best way to cache resources or not to cache, the best way to compress or not to compress. And all of these things have been kind of like... Uh, um, old wives tales or just like dark secrets of the magic <laughs> and they're they're pulling it all in together until just a few different configuration files which you can just use to bootstrap your project so that that's one thing I'm really happy to see um, but I, I'm really glad you mentioned uh, to hear you say gracefully degrade because I think that's that's the right way to approach HTML5 development um, you really want to start to deliver the best possible experience and the way to do that of course is to implement and utilize 
all these great HTML5 features like Canvas and CSS3, 3D transforms, uh, the file system APIs, <clears throat> sorry, the history management API, et cetera, et cetera. And these are going to give you essentially a native app feel. But of course you want reach, right? That's why you go to the web. So you build for the best experience, that which generates revenue and excitement and eyeballs. But then because it's all of these specs are written, understanding that it's a global worldwide open spec, you can gracefully degrade um, and unless provide using, a subset. Unless you're using IE6, as I'm <laughs> well, showing here. <clears throat> Comparison between IE6 in pink and uh, Chrome 10 in, uh, in green. <laughs> well, you know, IE6. Even Microsoft, Microsoft now is saying... Apologized. Yeah, we we talked yeah. about that site that says stop using IE6 yeah. from Microsoft. <laughs> that must crack you up. I, it's, it's actually kind of exciting, Seth. It seems like there's some real momentum building behind uh, HTML5. And oh, I well, even finally, yeah, finally, yeah. It's, it's, as, as my son Jake says, it's the, it's the kind of the, the Prince spaghetti sauce. Oh, it's in there. That'll solve it. HTML5 would do right. that with every problem that came up. You know, we got we to gotta get on with it and do right, it. Right. Well, you can look at some of the game industry there, I think, is pushing hard on HTML5. I mean, Disney's recent acquisition of the uh, game engine, I believe it's Rocket Pack or Rocket Engine there. Um, you know, Zynga is in exploring HTML5. Facebook, of course, is investing in HTML5. Uh, obviously, Google, Apple, and uh, Microsoft all agree that it's the future. So, I, you know, things, so we've all been agreeing it's the future, but this year things are happening. And so you're right, this is very exciting. Seth, thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thanks, oh, Seth. I appreciate it. Anytime. Thank yeah. you very much. And I guess the best place to find out more about this is HTML5rocks.com. Uh, but you Please heard some other by. great sites. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks. Seth Ladd from, uh, from the Google, from the mothership. He is developer advocate at Google. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Thanks, Seth. Bye-bye. That's neat. Thank you, Gina, for, uh, for getting that for us. Sure. Yeah, that's great. Sure. No, that well, was really fun. I like to... More of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just it does feel encouraging that there is some momentum and and things are actually happening and uh, it's uh, boy uh, it, I stopped using any other browser but Chrome quite a while ago. It's just so much better. I know, you know, and I I love Firefox and but you know when when there was a new Firefox release, it was like a big deal. You download it, right. your extensions wouldn't you know wouldn't uh, be compatible with Chrome. It just happens in the background. You just don't think about it as much, you know. It it's got it's just got so many great features. So uh, they've learned. You know, I think that's an important yeah. point. Just going forward, is more. I, I had lunch today with um, the CTO at um, at Adobe, uh, Kevin Lynch, and he was talking about Adobe moving over more and more and more to cloud stuff. And you get to that point where where applications be, can become more fluid. This whole idea of another version does become silly. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just we're always improving it, and here's an improvement, and there it is, and that's that. And you should you should be able to expect that that's going to be the case. It's process rather than product. This is kind of typical in computers. I, mean, I remember Tim Berners-Lee telling me, I never thought anybody would look at URLs. We didn't ever intend for URLs to be exposed. Those are not <laughs> HTTP colon slash slash is not designed for humans. <laughs> Clearly. And, yeah, obviously. And now I think, you know, I, I can't remember which browser it is, but one of the browsers is getting rid of that bar entirely. I don't know if that's Chrome or a Firefox. but You know, the funny thing there is I, I keep on wishing that that whole HTTP colon slash slash www was reduced to you know, one colon, something that 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 would then we wouldn't need uh, shorter URLs in and Twitter. You don't need to tell the proto. You don't need to tell the. Well, that's the problem with Twitter, which that's what is I'm saying. it Twitter doesn't know it's the, a URL because it exactly, doesn't have HTTP. But it needs to be a shorter way to say this is a URL. But that's just stupid Twitter, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah. Right, Gina? I mean, a little grip uh, magic, and you could tell if it's a URL or not. You look for a TLD preceded by a dot. You look for slashes. Yeah. You can, and maybe even ooh, you could even check to see if there's a website there and see if it has malware. Not uh, so hard to do. Okay, so we get Twitter to fix, not the whole internet. Yes. Good idea. You don't have to fix the internet; just fix Twitter. <laughs> but that, but that's exactly what happens, and that's I'm sure why URLs got exposed in the first place is Mosaic, and then Netscape did, and it didn't matter what Tim Berners Lee thought; it mattered what uh, people did, and that became uh, how it was done. Unfortunately. Hey, let's take a break. We got there's a lot of news, including uh, Android malware. Gina, uh, any gingerbread uh, love for your Nexus One? Oh yeah, I've got it. I've oh, got yeah, you it. Got it. I like legally. it. You got it. Better. You got it. You got a ROM. You didn't. You didn't get the update because I'm still <laughs> looking at my Nexus S for an update. I haven't seen a thing. Wait, the S? Oh, you're waiting for the OTA for the Nexus S? That's yeah. crazy. You still haven't gotten it? Okay, no. that's weird. In I fact, have other friends I, of the Nexus One who did get it. They got the OTA on the One. Well, you yeah. needed it more than the, you needed it more than the X did. S did. Yes. I mean, the one, the yeah. one needed. Let me just check, just because I, I, you know, I, it really wouldn't be a day without 
checking system updates and saying, seeing your system is currently up to date. Right. Android needs to learn a little from Chrome. <laughs> update faster. Just update it. I don't want to know. Just update. Right. Let's take a break. We got more coming up. Also, uh, some um, issues with, uh, with uh, I mentioned Android, the Google Apps Marketplace celebrating a birthday. Uh, and YouTube with a kind of an, an interesting acquisition that finally came through. Before we do that, though, I want to talk a little bit about Hover.com. Hover is domain name registration done properly. It's clean. It's simple. It's easy. If you use the other guys, you know, you know, you can't, you can't buy a domain with one click of the mouse. <laughs> 50 clicks later and you're still saying, no, I didn't want that. No, I don't want that. No, thank you. I, I just want to buy a friggin' domain. Go to Twig. Dot H O V E R dot com and take a look at Hover. This couldn't be simpler, cleaner, or easier to use. It's domain name registration made simple. You go there, you tell them the domain you want. A couple of clicks of the mouse later, you've got the domain. And here's the beauty of it they don't have to do the upsell on privacy because they just build it in. Automatic who is privacy and more. And if you are moving a domain over, if you're transferring, what a great deal. It costs $10 to transfer, but you get an additional year on your domain name. So they extend the domain name for a year, and, and you get the transfer. So I think that's pretty exceptional. Use Hover Domain Management to set up an email address, forward email, redirect domains to other websites, create URL extensions, set privacy controls, all with fewer clicks and without them trying to sell you something you don't want or you don't need. And uh, if you're transferring a bunch of sites, they've got a great uh, one fee, $25 fee for transferring all your sites from one to a thousand right over to hover.com. Do us a favor and give it a try. And please use the Twig offer code when you do uh, so we get credit for it. Those other guys at Twit, they don't need the money. Twig, <laughs> I'm competing against myself. Twig.hover.com, T W I G dot H O V E R.com. Please, please do it, folks. Do it for Jeff and Gina. Use the offer code TWIG. Well, it just it has come to my attention that some of you, not remembering the offer codes, just use TWIT. Because it all goes to the same place, right? Bad fans. Bad. Bad fan. Doesn't, yeah, yeah, it's it doesn't cost us anything because, you know, we don't, we, don't, like, we don't do cost per click or anything like that. But it, it does mean that people, that our advertisers don't know where they're getting the references, referrals from. And we want to make sure that they know people listen to this fine show and support it. So... T-W-I-G dot H-O-V-E-R dot com. Now we got to 12 minutes till Marissa Meyer shows up. No, 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 no. I'm okay. I'm okay. We can go to like 515 or something. Don't, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't want to be the guy who made you I just, late. No, I just didn't. Leo, I know you now. Yes, you've so if learned. If I didn't say this, we would start at 6. <laughs> You're absolutely right. I know you we and I love you. We love you, Leo, but yeah, we have but, to do that thing where you set the alarm 15 minutes early to try to trick yourself you into a... That doesn't work because I know I'm tricking myself. You you run on a California clock. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Gina, I don't know I what your problem York is. On <laughs> timing. He's New York. New York time. Come on. I got I, I made him. I, I'm always late. So in New York, I was always late. In California, I kind of sort of make it on time on because time. it's three hours later. <laughs> I showed up. We had a doctor's appointment at 8.30. Showed up at 8.42. They said... Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> we expect that. <laughs> it's, it's California. Hey, I don't be late for our event at South by Southwest. We're going to be down there this weekend. Everybody, I, this is, I look forward to this. I've only, this is my second time. I never went before. I know, Gina, you've been since almost the beginning. And everybody always said, go, you got to go to South by. And now I understand why. It's just a freaking party. It is. I'm really looking forward to it. I don't know what I was thinking considering not going. I'm really excited about this weekend. Well, when you get there, make sure you get our Get Glue sticker. I think if you watch a Twitch show and you use Get Glue now, you'll get our limited edition Twit South by Southwest sticker from Get Glue. And then come to Momo Sunday. This Sunday, we're going to be there from 1 till... Uh, we start with one with the Tech Guy show, and uh, we will uh, continue with Twit 5 o'clock. You guys will be there 5 to 7 p.m. We're doing a little meetup afterwards. And we have 1,000 of these special edition Twit stickers. I think we're going to do these from now on for every event. So it says Twit at SXSW 2011, and the zero is the state of Texas. And, oh, I uh, need that. Yeah. yeah. My thinking, I mean, we'll have regular Twit stickers too, but I'm thinking... Don't you want to, like, collect sets of stickers yeah. from different, you know, events? So I thought that'd be kind of fun. Oh, no. uh, you can find out more by going to our blog, inside.twit.tv. That's uh, where the schedule will be. And we also have a PlanCast account, plancast.com slash p slash 3x, 
H2S. I might as well just say HTTP colon slash slash for that one. <laughs> Holy cow. Slash P slash 3X2S. Is that like Twit? I don't even know what that one is. I guess we created a Twit Blancast account. So um, Chrome 10, we already mentioned that. That's out. Everybody likes it. No negatives, right? No complaints. Oh, working for me. Faster, sandboxed. I love it's the sandboxing. Good. That's key. That's critical. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's really critical. Instant mm -hmm. mobile previews are now available on uh, Android and iOS. Yeah, these are really cool. So there's a little magnifying glass next to search results on Google.com <laughs> on your phone, and you tap on it, and you can just sort of swipe through screenshots of the site, uh, which, which is neat. I'm not sure... I generally know what I'm looking for, but in a case where you're not sure, really neat little feature. So you it's a little magnifying glass in the bottom right of the search result. You don't really think of these things uh, as being n not only needed, but even working on a phone. Yeah, it's true. You know, for phones that have mobile versions that are cra that are crappy, or for sites that take a long time to load, an instant preview via Google, which is fast, is is, is a nice way to just check to see does this have does this look like what I'm looking for. Oh, I guess yeah, you're right. And they, yeah. they cache those locally, uh, not locally, uh, on, on the Goog. Right. Right. So you don't, right. there's no load time or anything, or less right. load time. Right. Well, I've only tried it on Wi-Fi, so I'm not sure how it does on, on 3G, mm. but it was pretty fast when I did try it. That's cool. iOS 4.3 came out today, too, by the way, if you're an iPhone user. Yeah. Jeffrey, you've, you've gone Android, right? No, I I both. Are you going to get I have, a, I have my you, Galaxy Tab, and I have my iPhone. And you are going to get an uh, iPad 2, right? I don't know. I don't know. Friday night. I don't know, he says. I don't know either. No, my wife looked at me and, and you know, basically, what are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, Jeff. All right, let's see. I think I, I, think I have it uh, fired up here. Let's see. Oh, yeah, look, there's a little magnifying glass. So that wasn't an update in the browser. That's just built into Google. And yeah. then I click it, and then look at this. These are the little thumbnails in a page. Oh, Inside that is the page. sweet. Which is nice, That's right? That's nice. That is little sweet. Yeah, so look, there is a little load time there. Yeah. But, but for the most part, it's nice to see, like, oh, is this the site I was, you know, looking for? And these and are. So if you, if you go back, you just go back to your search result. Oh, I don't know. That's a good, good question. Uh, oh, there's no back button on that. There it is. There it is. Yeah, this <laughs> is yeah, an iPhone. Wish, we don't I wish have you that. had that kind of UI within, let's say, Twitter, where you could, you know, see a photo more easily or. So this is what it's doing is it's pulling thumbnails up from, and it cached them, by the way, thumbnails up yeah. from the whole page. So yeah. this is like a different kind of search page with the thumbnails, and it does show the search that's results below it. So that's kind of a, I think that's kind of a swell feature. Yeah. 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 Yep. Pretty good. Wow, I didn't even, I didn't even know that. I have to listen to this show more often. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to listen to this show, and I'll learn a thing or two. Google has uh, discovered 21 malware apps on the Android marketplace, yanked them, but did something that we didn't know. Well, they ha I think they did it once before. Still, it's kind of always a little bit of a shock when they do this. They use the kill switch. Right. What's, right, what's and that? this is what the kill switch. The kill switch is for they remotely uninstalled the apps from phones that they knew it was installed on, and they know what's installed on your phone when you do it through the market. So these apps were uh, attempting to root the phone and get personal information about the phone, the IMEI number, which is unique to each handset, and some other some other information. As soon as Google knew about it, they said within minutes they uh, used this remote application removal feature, which basically just reaches down reaches down on your phone and uninstalls it. Um, See, I had chess and super sex positions. So, <laughs> <laughs> screaming I mean, sexy Japanese girls, of, falling yeah. dodgeball. Uh -huh. You know what? They're covering the waterfront because they got also scientific calculator, advanced currency cons cons converter, and a game called Pew Pew. <laughs> 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 you know, this, this is just the worst PR for Android oh, ever. Terrible. I mean, it, yeah. just, it just makes everyone who's ever been annoyed with the iTunes store's policies go, see, this is why they do it. I'm nowhere. You know, and it just... It makes you just feel like you're back in, in the, the heyday of Windows when malware was this, was this huge problem, viruses and trojans. I just feel like, oh, I feel like because Google has the market, there should be, I don't know, there needs to be better sort of re reviewing, testing, a detection of this kind of stuff before things get published. 
Is it? As a developer, I wouldn't mind having oh. to you know to run my app through a series of like an automated test suite, yeah. you know, on on you know Android market side and get and get approved. Well, one of you had that idea before, where you have a higher level marketplace. Yeah, you don't have to eliminate right. open, but you just say right. if and maybe you could charge for it. I'm I surprised somebody like, or, or maybe that's the value that Amazon should add right. in the marketplace. Why doesn't right. Amazon or Secunia or somebody say, "Hey, here's the secure marketplace"? I know why. Because you cannot, and uh, no matter what Apple tells anybody, you right. cannot There's, do. 100%. You can't always. You can't, right. you can't always job. detect the, the exploits, yeah. right? But you can sometimes. I mean, the Amazon App Store for Android does have a review process. I submitted my app, and it took them a couple weeks to approve really? it. Really. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it hasn't launched yet. Um, another interesting model is Mozilla. So I, I developed Firefox extensions, and when you upload your extension to the Mozilla add-on site, it just goes through all the code, which is just XML and JavaScript, and checks for external URLs, uh, and then has must have some sort of database which flags, you know, certain URLs which are, you know, good That's or bad good or malware. So, so, so it had these checks, and it'll say, you know, we found this URL, we're not sure about it. Like, it'll, you know, it'll give you the green thumbs up and the and the red stop. You know, they, they could, the Android market could do something like, uh, you know, passes the extra super clean malware check certification stamp, you know what I mean, that maybe as a developer you pay for. There's, there are other ways to do it. You don't have to sacrifice open, I think, to do these extra checks and have maybe, uh, you know, a higher level, you know, the elite class of apps that have been, that have been verified Google, somehow. Google might make a case that the system does work because they did find these 21. They did use the kill switch. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, how long were they in the market before they were discovered? Not that long. A week? Two weeks? That's the question. I mean, the question really is how many installations were there right. and how much information got leaked. I'm sh I would hope that Google would uh, let that information come out. Question. So if, if, if you go through Amazon, Amazon is not going to have a kill switch. Yet. No, but Google still will. So presumably Amazon could will. then okay, fine. say to Google, please kill these. <laughs> Google, oh, okay. by the way, um, I was told by our chat room, uh, somebody got killed, and uh, Google sends out an email. You get an email saying, we, you, we deleted an app from your phone <laughs> because it was malicious. I can't imagine anybody getting upset about that. No. 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 No, I mean, we'll, well, believe me, we'll hear somebody say, well, Google could be evil with that. They could misuse it and all that. But if Google did, then they're hurting their own business, for God's sakes. And every phone has this. I mean, uh, iOS has a kill switch. We know it. I'm glad they have it. They need it. I'm fine with it. What you don't want is that you don't want them to use it evilly, and that's really the issue. Right. That if they, you know, they kill a book or something, that's a problem. So uh, in the, uh, on the Google, Google Mobile blog, they say, Tuesday that we were made aware of this. Within minutes becoming aware, we, uh, we removed the applications. Um, they did take advantage of a flaw in, in the current 2.2.2 or higher versions of Android, which is a little... doesn't say... They've got the they've got the update. It doesn't say how long they were out there, but uh, and or who told them? Does that mean that there are some security people watching? It wouldn't be such a hard thing to look at what kind Let's of hope so. stuff your phone is doing on online. I just wish that they caught the stuff before it went down to people's phones. Right. That's, that's, what that's, that's what we that's want. Yeah. Android is number one in the U.S. Uh, smartphone market share now, outpacing uh, RIM. So they beat iOS a little while ago. Now they've beat RIM. There's nobody else. They are number one, according to Nielsen. Uh, Android has 29% market share. Oh, are these your numbers? No. Good. 20 <laughs> I have you trained well, Leo. I'm glad for this. It's a number. Anything numeric, we worry about. Yeah, Jeff has a has trademark on all numbers. I'm going to put a charge on your chair, on your, on your ball. <laughs> Actually, uh, Apple and RIM are tied with 27. Uh, now, that is uh, consumer market share. Nielsen also notes that when you look at it from a different angle, manufacturer market share, because, of course, Apple makes one phone. BlackBerry makes a number of phones. Uh, Google doesn't make any phones, but there are a lot of people making phones using the Google OS. When it comes to handset manufacturers, Apple and RIM are clearly ahead. The next biggest manufacturer apple and rim have 27% next biggest manufacturer is htc 12% android 7% windows mobile so and windows phone 7 so 12% if you talk about a, the biggest manufacturer which is htc still i mean that's the, that was the same argument people made about pc market share versus mac market share but there's only one apple well still they're all running windows right uh, Google has released an anti-fragmentation kit to respond to 
complaints that the Android market is fragmented. This is a, a programmer Gina at uh, at the ready. What is this? It says it's a static library that allows access to the Honeycomb Fragments API. <laughs> okay, so when you develop an Android app, you 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 set a version at which the app is you know the, the baseline version that it's uh, compatible with, right? So my app is uh, compatible 1.6 and above. Um, but but what you you don't want to do is make is is you don't want that to mean that you don't have access to only the features that are available to later versions. So I have not tried out the static library, but it sounds like this library lets developers take advantage of the stuff available in Honeycomb, that, that fragments uh, ah. library that lets you create panels that arrange themselves in different ways on a larger screen in their app without sacrificing um, earlier compatibility, you know, compatibility with earlier versions. I always wondered why they didn't do that because it seems like it'd be possible to write an app that automatically kind of senses what how because there unfortunately there's a big big variety in screen resolution in real estate, but right. it, would, it would sense that and kind of rearrange itself elastically. Right, well, isn't, that, right. I, isn't like, that what Adobe Air does? Yes, right. Right. Yeah, I mean that's and that's what a web browser does. It lays out right. a page depending on on the viewport size. Right. And so the new static library allows access to Honeycomb Fragments API, which lets developers produce resolution independent apps on any device running Android One Six or better. So from diminutive Pago phones to ten point one tablets. So this is just a matter way to lay out your app so that it that's shows cool. up well and no matter what the screen size is. Easy fix. And in response to Steve Jobs last week saying there's only a hundred Honeycomb apps. Um, and I thought that was a little, I mean, that's kind of not fair because, yes, there's 100 apps written for that size tablet, but there's hundreds of thousands of apps written for all Android. And uh, what is, I don't, have you looked at, well, I, I remember when I had the Galaxy Tab, even apps that weren't written for a 7-inch screen, for the most part, looked fine. They look great. They look if, wonderful. Yeah, I, you, I really hardly you, ever notice. Yeah. yeah, if you use layouts well in your app, it would just size up to the screen. And, that, and that's just sort of the nature of the, the layout, uh, the, the way that you do layouts in, in Android. My app worked fine on, on Honeycomb. I mean, there's a lot of extra, you know, white space. I, when I do rewrite it for, for Honeycomb, I'll take advantage of the fact that I could fit another panel. But it totally works. I mean, you know, look, Steve has a point. When the first iPad came out, one of my arguments against buying it was none of the apps have been written for this large screen yet. Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think that that's a reasonable argument to make. Well, it's a little different know. in iOS because on iOS, what happens if you have an iPhone app, it's tiny and you could double right. it. It doesn't, right. there is no resizing at all. Right. And so Google, I mean, Android handles, handles it, be, I think, better and differently. So there's a big difference between there aren't native iPad apps and there aren't native tablet apps for for Android, that's a big difference. Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. I think the fact that the way that Android you lay out views in Android uh, just expands naturally because yes. handsets have different size screens to begin with, unlike the iPhone. Right. That things did expand to fill Honeycomb well. So so Steve's argument is not as strong as maybe the initial argument with, with the iPad. Right. Uh, but I, I do hope to see a lot of really good apps kind of expand to fill that honeycomb screen. But things like Angry Birds are fantastic on honeycomb, yeah. right? You're not going to change anything. You're not going to add panels or anything, and, you know. And do you let me do you get glitches with the graphics like uh, jaggies, you know, artifacting or uh, uh, aliasing or do you, or or the fonts or do fonts scale nicely and graphics scale nicely? Do you do you have those issues? From what I saw on the emulator and the, the 10 or 20 minutes I spent with the, with the app itself, everything looks great. It yeah. scales up. So so Android gives you so when you when you create your your graphics for Android, there's it's a low, SVG medium, and high resolution. Oh. So, you, so you provide assets for high resolution and smaller resolution. I see. So, so they are bitmapped assets. Yeah. Although I imagine there's also vector graphics. That's yes. where SVG would be great. And I imagine the fonts. Do the fonts scale in to do text? To do text. Does do the fonts scale so that it looks? They don't look jaggy, do they? No, not at all. They yeah, look. They, they look, look great. They're anti-aliased. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yep. I think that that's a little misleading to say there's only a hundred apps. There's hundreds of thousands of apps that work fine and look fine, but there's yeah. only a hundred apps that were written specifically for that screen size. But I don't expect you to see a lot of apps written for that screen size because then that leaves out the rest of the market. Turn it back around. That's the limit. The limitation of iOS is that Steve does make you rewrite them. Yeah. You know. Right, these these complicated double things, and on on Android it just works. Not to sound like a fanboy, but well, I think it's important. <laughs> Love that. You know, people yell at me because I was critical of Steve's three big lies at the event. And uh, look, if he lies, he lies. It doesn't mean I'm a Google fanboy. When Google lies, I get upset too. If somebody's lying yeah. to you, and it is not our job to represent companies, we are here to represent end users. If a company's lying to you, you deserve to know that. 
oh, he's attacking oh, my he's attacking my team. I, I wish people would stop thinking of it as a team sport. It's yeah. not uh, team. Me too. Me too. And if you're on a team, you're on the human team. <laughs> not the, right, you're, not you're the, the Apple team, team or the Google team. You're, you're on the consumer yeah. team. You're not on the big company team. Right. You're on the consumer team. <laughs> Remember which team you are on, friends. I, I don't on forget. Team Leo. Well, no, you're not on my team. <laughs> I don't want a team. Team Twig? Yeah, yeah, Twig is good. Team Twig, Team Twig I'll, I'll go for that. Uh, new Google Maps uh, navigation, the beta version, will uh, wrap around traffic, something that GPSs have done for some time. But, hey, it's free. I didn't even know that. I've, I've never used GPS. I've only used uh, yeah, Google. Yeah, a lot oh, of GPSs cool. will do this, and I think that's a nice feature. Um, I've seen it on um, some of the GPS software on uh, iOS as well. Um, where do they get their traffic information? Where does Google get that information? That's what I'm wondering about. There's basically a monopoly now. Metro traffic and oh, shadow really? traffic. They own the same, the same people who do it for company. radio are doing yep. it for computers. And I actually think that the navigation app does send statistics to Google if you let it about your well, that's movement. that's what it about, should do. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's gathering its own data as well, if I'm not mistaken, with your That's where it's permission. always been best. To go. Yeah, I have your a... Um, your phone. You, it knows where you are, how fast you're moving. It doesn't need anything else, you know. You're in a 65 miles an hour zone going three miles an hour. Send that back. That's the information we want, and it's up to date. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can date stamp it, and uh, that's, yep. I mean, I had a, a little Dash GPS. They went out of business, but that it was really a really cool idea. All the Dash users were sending information back to Dash uh, and saying, uh, you know, so you had a very up-to-date traffic information. The problem is nobody bought it, so there was four of us. In 1995, <laughs> I tried to convince Metro Traffic and Shadow to do a very manual version of this where it would be a data-for-data data marketplace that you'd call in and report for every time you called in to report a problem, you get a free report back when you needed it. Oh, great. They right, didn't do it. Course, no, 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 no. That's because you're an entrepreneurial journalist. Marissa right. Meyer. I think Marissa should send you a glimpse. You know what? That GLYMPSE app. I love that app on uh, Android and iOS where you it sends you a... You've never seen this? No. no. I'm make it my, G I'll make it my, what now? I'll make it my tool. What? I'll make it my <laughs> okay, tool. I was going to do, actually, right. I was going to do to-do to text because, yeah. Gina, I've got it working so, I've done it before, so it's really not fair to do it again. But I've got it working so sweetly. You're right. I don't use the text file in Geek Tool now. I just use the uh, shell command. And it just, it works so, oh, I can't pull it up. It works so, it might, I got my thing down. But it works so nicely. And I've got, I use Quicksilver to automatically with a few keystrokes send it new to-do stuff. It's always on my desktop of all my computers. You are my, like, you are my target user, Leo. You oh, are, you, it's I, awesome. Can't tell you how happy this makes me. Oh, well, you did a great job. And <laughs> awesome. I can't tell you how grateful I am to you for making it. Yay. You know, it really, so happy uh, to hear that. It's Thank really you. neat. So for those who don't know, todotext.com, T-O-D-O-T-X-T.com. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little geeky. <laughs> yeah. it, it is. It's a lot geeky. It's basically it's command line to-do lists. Yeah, that's why we want to do a GUI. That's why I want to make a Chrome Web app. Well, there's a great make... Android app. So that makes yeah. the Android app you could do everything you would do with a normal to-do thing, but because it makes it, uh, I you know, because it makes a text file which you would then put in Dropbox, it uh, it's, it's so great. And you can always find apps that interact with text files. So it's not like Quick Quicksilver. Appending to the file makes it so easy to add to my to-do list, and it's always on my desktop. I just love that. Awesome. I don't know how I got. I just did an ad for you. I, I know. I, I'll, I'll send you the checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. It's in the Android marketplace. It's guaranteed malware-free. To do dot. What do you What do you call it in the Android marketplace? To do dot text touch. To do dot text touch. I know it's a terrible name. I'm not uh -huh. good at names. It's, uh, it's yeah, you, clearly you engineering. You need branding name. help, Gina. But just so yeah. you know, just so you know, I'm not making it up. There it is, right there, right on the front page of my uh, Nexus S. And there's awesome. my to do, do list. Leo? Lots of stuff. Let's see here. <laughs> Make a nice. I like appointment. that. You got. It can tell you're using it like next actions. I got prioritization. Hey, Amber yeah. is going to call you. Yeah. Amber's going to get a call. Doctor, you're finally going to get paid. Checks in the mail. <laughs> Actually, that's Doctor Mom. <laughs> Who for oh. my wife's birthday in September made her a necklace, which I still owe her sixty bucks for. <laughs> Sometimes just putting it on the to-do list doesn't mean it gets done. Yeah, that's my problem. <laughs> no, but you know what? That list was a lot longer yesterday, so it does work. A couple of acquisitions from Google, and we're going to get to uh, your tips, tools, and numbers. Uh, Google bought a, a British price comparison site called BeatThatQuote.com. Yes, it's time to play BeatThatQuote.com. I never heard of them, but they are British. Oh. 167 million, I'm sorry, 61 million dollars. 167 pounds or something. Oh, no, I'm sorry, 37 pounds. Um, 
They're going to use that technology to provide new ways for consumers to find the right financial products. So it's that's not it's price quotes on fi, on uh, on money. Hmm. They also bought, and we we this was rumored for a long time. YouTube bought Next New Networks, which is a content big YouTube content production company with something like sixty producers, including the Gregory Brothers and um, uh, Too Hot for Words or whatever that thing is called. And um, interesting play for YouTube to become a content creator. Jeff. Well, it, that's that's the issue. So I talked to Fred Seibert, who founded um, Next Year Networks as a friend before this, when he had to wink at me a lot. But um, I said my concern is that, you know, if Google finds itself in the content business, it's in huge channel conflict. It just can't do that. And the wink is, and the, and the press release made this too, they're going to take the shows that Next Year Networks owns and, and put some kind of wall around them or do something with them. That's not why they bought it. They bought it for a platform to create better content. And, uh, and I think know that's how, or is there some technology as well? Uh, uh, technology, but also I think more more systems and, and, and structure to do that. I'm not sure exactly what that is, uh, but that's in in YouTube's interest to have better content. YouTube, as you know, a week ago, I think we talked about this last week, is paying hundreds of producers uh, six figures uh, a year and thousands of producers five figures a year. Wow. Uh, in um, uh, compensation so people can start to make a living at this. And the more of that there is, the more things we watch instead of big old network TV, the better it is for YouTube and Google. So that's what's in their interest. But owning shows and competing with uh, their own distribution platform uh, would bring up all kinds of problems with people saying that they're, it's the discussions we've had. Is YouTube favoring its own stuff? And, you know, things like that. So I, I think that they can't, I hope the case is. I really hope the case is that they they find a way to slough off that original content and not own it. Yeah, it's interesting they brought it for workflow. That's what Dvorak always told me. He said, "Work on your workflow." That's what people buy. They don't. They don't care about the content. They want the workflow. It's my bad. Impression. I have no idea what that means. But but yes, John. Yes, John. Yes, John. I didn't. <laughs> what you say, John? I didn't even anyway. What did they get? They got like thirty million, something like that. Fifty million. I heard something like fifty. I think there was twenty six into it. That's good. Uh, you know, it was a problem of, of trying to find, uh, you know, ad sales. Ad sales are tough. That's what they were doing. Yes, it is. The newest Google website, ladies and gentlemen. Are you ready for official royal wedding 2011.org? Are we sick of it yet? It hasn't happened. Are we sick of it yet? <laughs> <laughs> this is Google. They're using Google for this. I mean, I actually felt grateful to Sheen for to, to, for reducing the royal wedding media coverage for a little bit there for a while. Oh, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet, baby. So it's Google App Engine that they're using for the... I mean, I guess they wanted bandwidth galore. I don't know. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> not Squarespace, not WordPress, not TypePad. I'm sure they all would love to have had that big old website. Ay. 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 <laughs> Hey, Charlie Sheen couldn't kill Ustream. Uh, that's pretty good for them. Ustream.tv, uh, 200,000 views. Did you see Charlie's last broadcast last night? You know, <laughs> he's sick. The man is sick, and it's, it's getting worse and worse. Or watching him destroy himself I in know. public. It's not nice to, not nice no. to watch that. What? Nor just, oh, uh, Jake, Jake uh, uh, update from Jake. He just said that Sheen said he needs help. Oh, good. Where did he say that, Jake? Oh. Some tabloid. Yeah, oh, well, yeah. true. Yeah, I know. And not just a social media intern to he, help him? I think he needs help doing his Twitter. <laughs> Did you yeah, see he, how many applications he got? How many? He got like 42,000 applications for the social media, for the well, workshop. If he's going to put 18 70, porn 70, stars 70, up in the house, I would like, I mean, might as well. 70,000 applications. I want to be in, in the Charlie Sheen new media consultant house. Is it next oh, to the porn God. star house? <laughs> Warner <laughs> Brothers starts running movies on Facebook. Big deal. Wow, it's the Dark Knight. You have to actually go to the Dark Knight page on Facebook to rent the movie. It's a very interesting nexus. And we, it's not in here, but it, it, Facebook is now doing comments uh, as well. And I'm very tempted to use their comment engine. I saw that TechCrunch is thrilled with it. I guess we talked about that last week. Yeah, we did, yep. I can never remember. What there was controversy there. I wrote a piece uh, on my blog, I, I took a snippet out of the book, about the argument about anonymity and how we ought to have more than one identity. And I, I side with Zuckerberg that we have one identity. Facebook. And that's the Facebook web. Well, you not side with Zuckerberg. 
not necessarily Facebooks, but we have our own. I like the new Google profiles. I don't, yes. know how, I, I don't know how I get it or don't get it, but I like it. We talked about the new Google profile search, and now we realize where that came from. It came from the new Google profiles. Yeah, I haven't done it yet. I haven't uh, updated mine. Yeah, profiles.google.com. I don't know. Sometimes I get the old one. Sometimes I get the new one. I don't know if my something with my cookies or whatever. Yeah, it's a, ni it's a real nice update. Uh, more yeah, bits of information. They took away the Flickr integration, which bummed me out because that, that made me happy because I used Flickr and I thought it was a, a nice use of you know, another company's API. But that said, the layout is, is, is really nice. More questions, more links. But don't you think it's a little bit Facebooky? For instance, here, when you change your information, you could put location, birthday, relationship, and gender under your picture. Ooh. Yes, that's, exactly. That's Facebooky, isn't it? It is very Facebooky. Yeah. I had, I had a, a long rant about those drop downs yeah which I'll, if, I'll if larry page creates a page for his dog then we know that it's a war right buzz is still on here although you can finally turn off the buzz tab uh <laughs> let's not show my personal information you can choose the pictures here finally a little bit at least a little bit more granularly than you could before before mm -hmm. you know you can manage those photos a little bit better um, I like it. I think it's uh, it's a nice looking profile. See, that's kind of what it made me think of this when you talked about Mark saying you should have one place on the web. I don't know if you should have only one, but you should at least no, have something like that. this. He was saying that you don't separate your work identity from your home, from uh, your home identity, from your this identity, from that identity, because they're going to come into conflict. Right. Better off to have one identity and be yourself. Be yourself. This is who I am. Yep. <laughs> I'm CEO, bitch. And uh, <laughs> he, he lives that, actually. That's... <laughs> For those who think I was unnecessarily profane, that actually was his business card. I don't know if it still is. Gizmo 5, just an update, shutting down April 3rd. You can transfer your credits to Google Voice. Google bought Gizmo and finally has dropped the other shoe on their head. Um, we, I think we should get to our uh, tool number right. and tip. I know you've got to get going to uh, see Marissa I that. and Tim. Oh, and uh, we'll find out more about Kevin Lynch and your lunch with him and Marissa That's and Tim fun. next That's week. How about that? That's good. Gina Trapani, your tool or tip of the week. Gmail added a new feature in labs called Smart Labels. Uh, so I think this is kind of like a way to jumpstart folks who aren't using filters and labels very much. If you enable Smart Labels in your Gmail account, the labs link, it automatically creates categories for a bulk called, there's actually three labels, bulk, notification, and forum messages. And these are just, these are just filters that, that look to see, you know, is this just a newsletter or a subscription? Is this a mailing list uh, uh, subscription? Um, and, uh, you know, kind of promotional email and filters them into those, those labels automatically. I like that. I needed that. Yeah, it's nice. And, you know, I had many of these filters. I kind of created them by hand that, that serve a similar purpose. But right. this is really for folks who hadn't had a chance to do that or wanted to just kind of get a, a, a kickstart on their labels. And once you enable smart labels, you can go into your filter settings and you can tweak them. You can add addresses and, and other criteria to them. You'll see the smart label uh, filter listed there. They've so, changed yeah. the uh, UI, it looks like. I now have a gear for the options. So I, I was looking for the labs link, and you have to click the gear now in the upper right-hand corner of Gmail, and then you can get to the settings, and then you can uh, get to the labs. And then you can go to labs, right? And they haven't updated that in Google Apps yet, so I hadn't seen that yet. Yeah, that's but interesting. Yeah, it's cleaner. Uh, that's how they should have. It should be that way. Yep, and, and it's smart labels, one word, like wiki word. So I'll go way down because it's alphabetic. There's so many labs features, it's crazy. Well, and these are all my enabled ones, so I have to go down to the disabled Jeez. ones. Smart mute, smart labels. Fan freaking tastic. Turning on now. Saving changes now. Good tip. Thank you, Gina. Yeah, sure. Jeff, your number of the week. Well, the obvious one is Fortune's most admired companies, Apple, Google, one, two. Uh, but I'll do another number, uh, which is 2,127, which is uh, Henry Blodgett's profit last year for Business Insider. What? How it's, much? Well, 2,127. I mean, $2,127. That's all? But, well, but, but he made a profit, and as he said, it's better than not having $2,127. He made a lot more uh, jiggering the stock market. And, uh, yeah, the, <laughs> you said it, I didn't. Uh, yeah, um, I probably shouldn't say that. I, so I don't Henry, know anything. I know nothing. No, what Henry did what I, that I liked is he went ahead and released his financials, put them put right out there. So he made about $4.5 in uh, in ad revenue. And do you think that's high oh. or low for what he has? $4.5 is uh, is about right, I would say. Yeah, I'd say. That's right where and, we are. We're right, right in that area. Yeah, and he's investing in the business. And, he, and, he, and you know, there you're just as transparent as Henry is. You're putting that out. I, I think that's great. So yeah, he reinvests. So it wasn't that he didn't have revenue. It's just that he didn't no, take no, no, anything out of it. 
he invested back in the business. Yeah. That's somebody told me that. You should always tell people you made $5 profit. Yeah. Because your salary is part of the uh, cost. Right. Well, you're also telling the IRS that. Yeah. Yeah. I made, yeah. I always, at the end of the year, I got five bucks left in my pocket. I won't mention the savings account in Zurich. <laughs> I guess it's okay to say that because I see that he is con still is banned from the securities industry. Yes, he is. He's found. And he's a he's nice open niche. about that. He'll, yeah. he'll, somebody yeah. asked him about it. He'll he'll talk about it. That's what happened. Yeah. And my tool of the week, I already forgot it. Gina, remind G him. It was G T G L. Glimpse. Glimpse. Oh, thank you. So <laughs> we uh, we're on our way to uh, South by Southwest, right? And uh, John Slanina is driving the van. He left on Monday. So how do we know where John is? Well, he glimpsed us. This is available on Android and iPhone. Uh, when I was late for our Google appointment, I glimpsed, I sent a text message to Karen Wickery that linked to this map. Now I can see, she can see where I am in real time. In fact, let me zoom in. She probably could know it anyway, Leo, because she's at Google. Well, she probably knows everything, doesn't she? <laughs> but let, let me... She could, she's tracking you anyway. But huh? this is a cool way to share. It looks like, he, by phone. the way... It's it, for one thing. We know that he took a tour of Carlsbad Caverns. There's a little <laughs> detour on there, but you see that. See that? It's, it's so funny. You see that in real time. So if you're if you're in real time, you can actually see how fast he's going. There's the there's the detour. He's coming back now. <laughs> that's that's gonna freak people out. Uh, he's going so 54 like, miles an hour, and so he's coming back on the Carlsbad Cavern Highway. That's so funny. So uh, this is in real time. You said how long the glimpse will last for. If you're late a lot, as I am, as you know, uh, you just send people a glimpse. It's a text message. Then they have a live real-time map that will tell you exactly where, tell them exactly where you are at all times. Now what you want is tie that with uh, Street View so you can see what he's seeing. Oh, wouldn't that be cool? This is such a neat product. I just think it's so, so cool. G L Y. Yeah, mesmerizing about oh, it. Oh yeah. There? I first discovered it when Robert Scoble was late for Twit, and he sent me a glimpse, and we watched him arrive. I watched him pull up out front. <laughs> <laughs> that's anyway, so said, Scoble. I guess he, yes, yeah, that's so Scoble. G L Y M P S E dot com. We'll be in Austin this weekend. Can't believe it. Can't wait. Can't Jeff wait. and Gina and I, and we'll see you Sunday afternoon about five o'clock on the stage at Momo's. Please I come like early. The week. We'll be there. I can be there at four thirty. Well, I'm not talking about you. You guys get with it whenever you want. But uh, if you're going to be in the audience, it's only room for five hundred, and I have a feeling we'll fill up fast. So come early. We st oh, door boy. doors open at one. That's gonna be some party. Yeah! Yeehaw! Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time on Twig.